following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We have been in chapter 14 for a few weeks, and here we're in a narrative where Jesus has been invited by a ruler of the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus has been invited to a feast on a Sabbath. We know this is a Friday night. Um, Jesus uh, has uh, assumed the lowest place at the table because we know that he always embodies everything that he teaches. Um, he's walked into uh, a setting as he often does, and he's seen hearts, um, and he he he. he he expresses his concern for their posture and their brokenness and their and their motives. Um, please understand, um, as a dinner guest here, um, I think some people could easily take this out of context and be like, hey, the next time you go to a dinner, make sure you tell those invited that they're arrogant. And uh, the next time you go to dinner, you know, point out the host in front of everybody and just say, hey, maybe you should invite people that can't invite you back. And, you know, that's... That's not the heart of Jesus here. Please understand his heart here is he wants to heal. He wants to, he wants to reveal so that he can heal. And that's what he does for us too, right? Like his word, uh, have you ever been confronted by God's word in a way that just kind of cuts you to the core and you just know that change is demanded of you and, and, but you also know that you have a loving heavenly father, a powerful Holy Spirit that's going to bring that to fruition if he just has clay in his hands, that if we're just willing that he'll do, he'll do, he'll do miraculous things in us um, as we yield our lives and submit our hearts to him. So hopefully you're there. Um, I want to give a, a brief uh, recap here um, is in verses one to six, uh, which won't be on the screen. I'm just going to kind of get, get us caught up here. Uh, Jesus is invited by a ruler of Pharisee. It says so they could keep watch on him. So there, some of the intention is revealed in that. Also, we see that a guy with dropsy or edema um, is, is been invited. Uh, Jesus seems to be in close proximity to him. He's kind of right in front of him. And so obviously uh, someone with any sort of um, curable or incurable disease or, um, in, you know, Israel tended to kind of see them as sinners, you know, who, who sinned that he has this particular illness or circumstance. And Jesus corrected that. Um, I mean, if they weren't corrected by the, the Job, you know, <laughs> like just the book of Job was, was, you know, God was at odds with Job's three friends because they assumed that Job had sinned because of what he, he was facing. And, and Jesus corrects that, that uh, broken theology as well. And, and here, this, this man is brought into the room. Jesus heals him and dismisses him because Jesus knows that he was being used like the woman dragged before him in adultery is being used as a pawn to try to trap him. And, um, and so... Jesus uh, addresses that. And, uh, and, and yet again, as we've mentioned before, for the seven times Jesus heals specifically on the Sabbath in order to help remind them of a few principles. One, Sabbath is, is all about healing, right? Sabbath is, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus said. Jesus said it wasn't, it's not about the Sabbath. Really, Sabbath was created for your benefit. 
And really, Sabbath is meant to point to me because I'm your, I'm your rest. I'm your destination. I'm the one, I'm your healer. And so if, if, uh, if the connection of healing, because what had happened was at this point in the game, they had made compassion illegal <laughs> on the Sabbath. You know, and he points out again that if your donkey, your ox, or your child were to fall into a well, would you not rescue them? And, uh, and that just depicts his heart, his attitude, like he, he's come to heal the broken, right? Um, and so that's, that's his, his heart and agenda. And so he heals, he heals this, uh, this man that is captured by edema in front of them and addresses their, their, their religious misconceptions about God's intentions. And guys, there'll be times in our lives that we are reading through the scripture. The Holy Spirit is continuing to impart truth to us. And he's addressing some of the misconceptions in our own contexts. Um, and, uh, and helping us to see truth from a liberating perspective, from the perspective that is meant to breathe life and healing and hope and joy and point to Jesus ultimately. Because this healing, did this healing point to him as being Lord of the Sabbath? Absolutely. It was another one of those authenticating signs. And then in verses 7 through 11, which I will read as a reminder, uh, we kind of capture a little bit about what I believe to be the message for this Christmas. In verse 7, it starts this way. It says, now he told a parable to those who were invited. So now he's shifted his attention from the Pharisees and the lawyers to those that are that have been invited to this dinner on the Sabbath. He said, when he noticed how, and, and why did he start to tell this parable to them? When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes and uh, comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this was our text last week. And because the, 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 the three verses we're going to look at this week have this same context, this same moment, he's still in the room with the, the, his host and those who were invited by his hosts. And he's just, just now he's just addressed their lack of humility, their arrogance, their prideful posture, their, um, you know, their, their, their intention. And we talked about last week, like, do we, do we often sometimes go, what do I want? And what, 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 what do, I mean, like, is our orientation often based on our preferences rather than what God would want in that moment? And we talked about Philippians 2, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. And boy, that goes at odds with our American culture, much less our sinful nature. And, uh, you know, this, this attitude of humility that was demonstrated in Christ's sacrifice. And Philippians 2 kind of unpacks that for us so beautifully. He said it did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. Jesus didn't. Paul using him as the ultimate example of humility. 
He said he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we, we know that, that this is, this is an attribute, a characteristic of God that, that he longs for, that is so necessary for us to walk in obedience to the, to the, the moments and the opportunities that he is calling us to. And so I, I can't emphasize enough how, how vital, like the, the, how methodical he is in how he is laying this out for those that he's sharing a meal with this night. And uh, humility is at the cornerstone of what he's about to say to them and really what he's about to say to us. Now, for a moment here, I just want to I want to press this text against our current context of Christmas. And I want to remind us that Jesus exemplified humility. Let's remember from the cradle to the cross. I mean, we only have to look at the cradle and the cross to see the the unbelievable humility of Christ that he orchestrated, designed and desired the whole thing. Like the wise men, they came looking for Jesus where? Not in Bethlehem, but in Jerusalem, because that's where the king of the Jews would be. And and he wasn't there. He was five miles south in, in what's called the house of bread, Bethlehem. But it's also known as shepherd's village because this is where the sacrificial lambs are raised. And this is where Jesus was born. And not by circumstance, not by the will of man, not by Joseph's will or even Caesar's uh, census. This was not what moved him there, but by, by the hand of God. Because prophetically, we saw that this is exactly not just any Bethlehem, because there was two, one in Galilee and one in, in southern Judea. And this is the Bethlehem that was, was prophesied would, would birth the Messiah. And even when the, 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 the wise man asked, even when Herod asked of the scribes, where is he to be born? This is, this is exactly what they discovered. And yet it was only the wise men that went down. But my point is this, is that Jesus orchestrated his own birth in a lonely manger to a couple that was poor. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? All of the aspects of Jesus's life were were just laced with humility, filled with this humble posture. And then he goes to a rugged cross. And by the way, you know, what's, what's pretty interesting to me, whether we're talking about the, 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 the cradle to the cross or the, the crash to the crucifixion, all filled with humility, the, the crucifixion is depicted in great detail by David in Psalms 22 and by Isaiah in, in chapter 53. And it's as almost as if they were standing there writing these things out. But let me remind you of something. It was the Romans that, that created crucifixion. It was there and their intentions was to make something as as horrific and horrible and painful as possible. And the Romans, you know, think about it. David, David was the scribe of this Psalms 22 over a thousand years before Jesus's crucifixion. And Isaiah, well over 700 years before Jesus walked the planet Isaiah 53 was written, was, in, was given to him by the Holy Spirit. And so what we have to understand is, is that God knows. God orchestrates. God, God in, like Jesus intentionally walked out humility in order to model for us 
this this winsome attribute that is that you know when 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 uh, when we're told be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love that love is must be lived out in a in a humble disposition and so we come to this i mean verse 11 says for anyone who excuse me everyone who exalts himself will be humbled will be humbled exalts himself everyone and he who humbles himself will be exalted this is the promise of god we see it modeled in the person of christ that after his resurrection he was exalted that his name was above every name that at the name of jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that jesus is lord and so here we are kind of, kind of again i challenge you to put yourself in this moment in this dinner uh, it's become a little uncomfortable. I mean, I, I, I don't think that he's modeling that we should go and call hosts and guests out at, at places that we're invited to. Um, but he puts a mirror in front of their hearts. And uh, and here he turns the attention back on the host in verses 12 through 14. Now, before I read this, my goal is to be brief because we're going to have a practical expression to this this morning that I'm going to challenge you to. In fact, the Holy Spirit challenged me. I don't know if you've, uh, I'm sure this has been a, a, an experience for you that if you open up God's word in your quiet time, a Bible study, um, have you ever been captured by just a phrase, a word? Like you didn't get through a verse, maybe a, a few verses, and, and, and there, there went an hour and a half, you know, because it's just, it's so captivating, it's so compelling, it's so challenging, it's so and the Holy Spirit starts to to lift it off the page and begins to write it on your heart. Well that's the experience I had this time as I was studying through this text. Is the the, the goal uh, that we had that that was laid out was twelve to twenty four for this Sunday. Well I got to fourteen and uh and God unpacked some things for me and uh and a practical expression for us. And so I, I want to share um, what is stated here, but it's so important that I hope that we've captured the context of this moment. So it says here, he being Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet. Now it's interesting. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Don't invite these folks. Why? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when, he says that again here, and specifically to the hypothetical response to this particular commandment or statement, he says, but when you give, and he uses the word feast, like he's talking about things that uh, that that you would do in the future and he doesn't say when when you uh when you provide a snack when when you have a meal no he says but when you give give if you have your bibles open right here and you got a pen in your hand can you circle give give a feast right but when you give a feast invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. 
for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just or justified. And the only reason we're just is because Christ, we're justified, right? We're, we're declared not guilty because Jesus took our guilt, took our, our consequence. And so I believe here Jesus is addressing the mentality very prevalent at Christmas, very prevalent. And here it is. Jesus says, don't give to get. Don't give in order to get. Don't, don't live in this reciprocating mentality. You know, I mean, I, I've heard with even within Christian circles, you know, like, well, I'll do it for you because you do it for me, right? Is that the reason you're doing it? Or, you know, I'll get you back. I know you took the bill this time, but I mean, is there a ledger now? Is there a balance sheet that's created in that moment? Because if that's the case, we're in trouble when it comes to Jesus. Right? I mean, 10,000 talents doesn't sound like something I can repay. And so, you know, there, there's this, this, this giving mentality that flows out of love and generosity simply because of what, what God has done for us in Christ. And the recipients of those are meant to be those that can never pay us back, that would never deserve that type of lavish generosity. So I have some questions for you. What would it look like to give differently this year? What would it look like? I brought a couple catalogs. Um, Samaritan's Purse has some ministries around the world. Do you know you can buy a filter system for a family um, so that their water is, is drinkable? It's 100 bucks, So they can have clean drinking water. You can buy, with World Vision, you can buy... Um, in Uganda, you can buy a goat and two chickens for a hundred bucks. That's that's amazing, right? You you can uh, you can help drill a well. You can uh, you help provide. You can you can provide a tree for for a family. You can uh, you can give a goat a dairy goat seventy bucks. I mean, the list is long, and and the opportunities are out. You go to Samaritan's Purse. Go to World Vision. There, these catalogs, there's more out in the, in the hallway there or in the, in the foyer. But, but what would it look like, you know, instead of like when someone comes to you and says, hey, what can I get you for Christmas? Oh, it would be awesome if you could buy this clean water filter for this family, you know, over here. I can show you where it's at, right? I mean, wouldn't that make way more sense? than accumulating stuff that we're going to bring here for the A2 event in a few years? Right? And is that really going to add any value to your life? Because if, if you have that mentality, you misunderstand your identity in Christ. You, 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 you've, you've lost uh, the, the perspective on just how, how much of a treasure you are to God and how much of a treasure he is to us. And that Jesus said that though he was rich, he became poor that we might become. Do you know that he has enriched us in every way? When he, when he put his kingdom in us, his spirit. And this is the kind of people we're called to be. People that give the way we've been given. To love the way we've been loved. To heal the way we've been healed. And to knowing that we can't, but he can. And we can be the instruments. 
I love that peace uh, video that we saw this morning. You know, we did this maybe three or four years back, and that video has never left me like that. I love that. Shalom. But that it, it's, it's not just not being at war anymore. It's now contributing to each other's benefit. It's, it's, it's sharing the peace that, that has been, been made who you are. Like, and, and in order to do that, we have to humble ourselves. And we have to get out of our comfort zones. And we have to be ready to move into places where there's brokenness and, and loss. And, and like Lori is saying, don't turn into the mansion behind the Corvette. Right, but but find ourselves in place. Did, did Jesus race to where brokenness was? He was considered a friend of sinners. Like he he went to the chief tax collector Zacchaeus. And he says, "I'm coming to your house." He he invited himself into places that his his current culture would say is wrong and dark and dirty. Encourage others to give to the less fortunate instead of to you. Do, 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 do Christmas gifts come with expectations? Just a question. I'm just, I'm just trying to do what Jesus does. Is Let's just put a mirror in front of our heart and let that mirror be God's word. Do we often ask questions like, what will they get for me? And will it be better than what I got for them? I mean, like... Isn't, isn't Christmas about celebrating Christ's birth? Isn't it his birthday? And shouldn't we be trying to give towards him, like to express some act of worship? In a moment, I'm going to read this passage that moved. This was the passage that moved Mother Teresa to, to Calcutta. This, this is what moved her heart and compelled her life. But in this passage, in verse 40, it basically says, Look, whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, I take that personally. You do for me. And if we're going to give to, to anyone this Christmas, why don't, why don't we give to Jesus? And Jesus has given us practical ways to do that. And this passage, I think, is clear that when you give a feast, when, when you give a feast, these are the ones you want to give that feast to, right? What would it look like to give God's way this Christmas? What would it look like to give God's way this Christmas? Would it, it would be lavish and generous with no strings attached. It would, it would be sacrificial. It would be motivated by love and so much more. So my question is, who are the poor, cripple, lame, and blind in your context? Who are the ones that, I mean, this is such a practical text. When you give a feast, are we capable of doing that simple act of just opening our hearts, more importantly, and then our doors and, and inviting people that could never repay us? Because isn't that who we are in what Christ invited us into? Those that could never, never repay him. And yet he keeps giving in generous terms. Finally, before I read this verse, ideally we give for the glory of God and not for the praise of men. And that doesn't often, you know, oftentimes that creeps into our Christmas mentality. Is what we're giving 
aimed at this intention to see God glorified. To, 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 to point to Jesus in what we do. Listen to this passage afresh. I know it's a familiar text. These 14 verses are so rich. Please understand the context. When Jesus talks about in the resurrection of the just in verse 14 that we, that we read from our passage this morning right here, like this is the verse, this is now the context of what he's talking about there. He is now glorified king as he is, and he's telling us about a future reference and this is what he says. Before him, speaking of his, his future glorified self, will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. This was all prepared. For I was hungry. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will all they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or imprisoned, and did not minister you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And guys, as I mentioned, this is the this is the the, the section of truth that 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 penetrated Mother Teresa's heart and moved her to Calcutta. And if you know the story, she had to overcome all kinds of obstacles. She begged and begged and begged and begged and was resolved about this being the destination God had purposed for her life. Are you more concerned with profit and loss or sacrifice and service? Have we rejected self-interest and self-promotion in order to be those that promote and glorify God. What would it look like today? What would it look like today to, to put this particular passage, verses 12 to 14, what would it look like today? Do you think that, that the Lord has, the Spirit desires an act of obedience here for us? Is there a practical expression that, that God wants us to have? Or was this, was this just for that very moment, you know, almost 2,000 years ago? Or does this have an expression here and now? Does it? I think it clearly does. So here's my challenge. So this, I'm just going to say this. When I got to this point in the text, like I know the difference between me coming up with an idea and the spirit putting it there and then bringing like all the details to fruition. This is what I, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, Here's the thing, and we're going to get real practical this morning. 
Okay, because I think so often we sit and we hear and we read and we and we get we get strong in our convictions and our theological thinking, but but we're clearly told that if we don't do what he's saying, that he's not Lord. If we don't if we don't act, if we don't if we, if we don't put this truth into practice, then we're not building our house upon the rock. And when those storms come, we're going to get washed away because we knew it, but we didn't live it. We heard it, but we didn't practice it. And I want to be with people. I want to be a people that, that puts God's word into practice, that lives it out. And we do it together because when we do it together, it yokes us together. It helps us to know each other, helps us to know him better. And, and then the world starts to see that, man, maybe Jesus is for real because those folks really believe him based on what they're doing. So here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to use, um, so Jesus sent out the 70 and in a separate occasion, 70 people, two by two, he sent them out to different places to, with authority to do some pretty, sorry, to do some pretty significant things. And then at another occasion, he sent out 72 of them, including the 12, to go out and, and, and other occasions, just the 12 to go out and do things in his name with his authority and without him. Obviously, Jesus wasn't split into 12 different groups. You know what I mean? Like they went out and did it without him. And and what I love is the, if you haven't seen the season three of The Chosen, this is depicted in one of the scenes in uh, episodes one and two. And what happens is Jesus is standing there and or sitting amongst the, the group. And he says, OK, now you guys are going to go off in, in groups of two. And I'm going to send you to different places all over Palestine. And can you imagine what their faces were like? You're going to do what? Are you going with it? Well, you can't go with all. Who are you going? You're not going with us? How are we going to do what you do without you? And Jesus is saying, because I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to be with you, right? But, but I'm not going to be with you, right? And, he's, and you could see that they're like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Who am I going to? And he tells them this. Don't take a bag. Don't take, don't take anything that you're going to lean on so that you fully lean on my promise and my protection, my care. And he says, you know, just go into towns. And if they, if they welcome you, then stay there and do, do what I've called. But can you imagine like there was this, well, it was a Moses mentality for most of them. I would imagine like, yeah, I can't. If you're not, I don't know. I, I don't. And who am I going with? I'm going with Matthew. I, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out, Jesus. I don't know where this plan came from, but I'm not sure. You know, like uh, maybe we need to rethink this. Um, you know, so, but Jesus sent them out. Now I'm going to give you another occasion. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? That whole thing starts. Now keep in mind that he didn't, didn't only feed 5,000. That was just men. There were arguably 10 to 12,000 people there. And that was not the only occasion. He fed 4,000 later. So they fed 4,000 later. So it's interesting that this is what happened in that scenario. Um, One of the disciples come to him and say, hey, this is a remote place. It's getting really dark. These folks are hungry and they got a great distance to go home as if Jesus didn't know any of that. Right. Um, And uh, and he says he looks at them and he says, what? You feed them. Now, talk about turning the tables. I mean, like in that moment, I mean, I love Andrew. Andrew's like, well, I saw a guy over there. This little boy, he's got like, you know, uh, I think there was about 
five loaves and about two fish. And that's what, you know, like, so, you know, that's interesting, right? That, that Jesus says, you feed them. I'll be your supply, right? And we're going to take things that seem so inconsequential, limited resources, and God will do great things. For any of you that have been with us long enough to have done Mosley, you know what I'm talking about. Right, you know that God can take what He's purposed to do, and He can He can provide eighty-seven children Christmas and get massive amounts of food. And I mean, He can do what He wants to do, right? And so, here's here's what we're going to do. There's sixty-two of us here, plus or minus three or four this morning, and I'm going to break you into six groups, about ten or eleven in each group. I'm going to ask that you. Take a row of chairs and just take them apart, turn them around and sit together for about 20 or 25 minutes. I'm going to give each one of those groups $500. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot. And I'm going to challenge you over, it doesn't have to happen before Christmas, after Christmas, first of the year, doesn't matter. We're going to put this into practice. Because I feel like sometimes we read these texts filled with conviction, filled with practical application, and we don't see them to fruition, right? And and by all means, my hope is is that organically these things happen in your life and no one ever hears about them, but God's doing great things through you and in the body organically. And that's ideal. Celebrate it. But there are times that the Holy Spirit just leads. We're going to do this together, okay? And and I, I bet you probably feel, some of you might feel like, well, I got plans. I got I got things I, I I got ideas I got concepts I got I, you know I, I and there's fears about what what does this look like Let me give you some ideas okay because I think sometimes we think bigger than than even God thinks because we can do simple things and God can do miraculous and grand things through the simple okay and this is just what I mean So the guys a couple of times the men's ministry has gone and we have we have put ten dollars worth of gas in a hundred people's cars you know thousand dollars on a Saturday afternoon, we're just pumping gas in people's cars. And you'd have swore we've given them, I, like people are blown away by the fact that we just, we just want to give them $10 in gas. Crying, just weeping. The, the stories of people not having, you know, and just in desperate, ask the Lord and he's providing and we're getting to fill their tank up. You know, just a simple expression, a gesture of love. A few ideas, because I didn't want to leave you without ideas. Because so so here's an idea: like find find a, a save a lot, a, a Dollar General, um, an Aldi, whatever in in a in an area that is that is needy, and let's let's buy a hundred five dollar gift cards from that establishment and let them know what we're doing and 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 just hand them out to those that are that are coming there and just express that you know they're going to ask why. And we, we get to point to the to the who every time. You know, may, maybe this means practical. You know, for, 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 for some of us or a group this morning, maybe we, we actually have a meal and we go out and we invite the people that are, seem to stand outside in desperate need. And we invite them to come into our context. I, I want to also say that the church campus is available for this. Okay, so if, if you, your group this morning decides, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right here. That's great. Because this is the church campus, it's not the church. You're the church, right? So, so like, it, it doesn't have to be extraordinary. It doesn't have to be, but it, it just needs to be uh, an offering unto the Lord 
something that's done for, for the glory of God. Um, the who can be an individual or it can be a group. The, the ideas for the event, you know, I mentioned some, but, but take a meal to a, to a shelter. Um, take a meal to a park, right? And, and make, make food available. Provide groceries. Uh, as far as the date and time, you know, that's for you to decide as a group. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm looking for a group of 10 people, 10 or 11 people to gather, right? Let's see, two, four, six, eight, nine. Yeah, we're doing this right now. Right now. So, Miss Jill, come on up here. Join this group here. Turn one of your rows around and face one another. I'm going to give you 20 minutes, and I'm going to ask you to, to, to pray and ask the Lord, what is it that you would have us do together uh, in order to put this practically into action? There's a group right back there. If you're in the back seats, please, Miss Lori, join that group. Um, John and Mary Beth, if you guys would host a group back there. Um, Joe and Donna, if you guys would host a group back there with Miss Sharon, Dave and Sarah up front here. We got, we got Fred and Cindy, Jerry, Leanne, Miss Judy, you guys, Rob, Julie, you guys get together here, 10 or 11 folks. Okay, over here, um, Matt and Lori, I want you guys to get together with Bill and, and, uh, and Autumn and Ben and, and then another 10, 10 or 11 back there with Ray and Mary. Okay, just move the seats, turn them around. I'm going to, I'm, as you're getting seated, I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're just going to brainstorm. What is it we can do for the glory of God? Okay. So if you're here, get together with a group here. If you're back there, you guys are getting it done. I like it. Awesome. Um, make sure you remember how the chairs go so you can put them back. Oh, <laughs> all right. Um, Guys, let's uh, let's just pause for a moment and put this whole thing to prayer, and uh, and then I'm going to give you about 20 minutes to brainstorm together. Okay, Father, we thank you for just the way that you move through your Word, Holy Spirit, how you provoke our hearts to loving good deeds, that we would um, not just know these these beautiful principles, and that it wouldn't just be love in concept, but it would be love in practice and in reality. Lord, that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, would you speak the unique opportunities to each one of these groups now, that, that they would be ready to listen for you through each other to the way that they're going to minister and serve in this season in order to to serve the less fortunate, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the poor. I pray that you would bless this time and that you would give insight and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.